Plastic, plastic, plastic! Uh, paper, Tia, do you paper, like plastic? paper. Rock? Scissors? Plastic? Spock. Spock? <laughs> okay, now that we've gotten our obligatory Big Bang reference out of the way. Oh! Um, <laughs> I forgot that that's Big Bang! Fuck! We see a Terror circus! Of the Autons. There's lions! I don't want to think about Big Bang Theory. We see a car swoosh into the area. Shell, yeah. But that's weird. It, like, actually swoosh swooshes? Huh, that's weird. Um, and then the guy gets out of it. He's apparently known as the master, and he fights a dude, and then mind controls him to make him beat him a gu- beat up a guard while he steals a thing from a, a, a museum that's totally actually there. Uh, the doctor is apparently setting things on fire in the TARDIS. A girl comes in and distracts him, and she's apparently ruined everything, and she's also stupid. She's the doctor's new assistant. She's Josephine, or Joe. He doesn't think she's suitable, though. And the thing that was stolen is the original alien prop of the plasticine dudes, the plastic guys. It's very plasticine. The the Nestle, the Nestle quick guys who wanted the to see this. And a man walks up a giant telescope with glasses in another scene. And a, a scientist at the top is doing science. And then glasses guy leaves. And the master walks in. And he shoots the guy while he eats some eggs. And he brings in the stolen decahedron of Nestle, and the radio towers all move around, and it's beeping, and then the master waits for the original scientist to show up, and apparently his family is in high places, or Joe's family is in high places, so the doctor has to deal with her. Um, and they learn about the telescope and all that, and so they head over, and when the doctor goes to check, Joe is left behind, and they go inside. And the doctor weirdly hears the TARDIS, though? That's strange. And there's a man floating in the air that walks towards him. And he's like, hey, the master's here. There's also a bomb in there. So, like, yeah. Uh, the doctor, like, basically jumps into the room, grabs the bomb so it doesn't explode. Everything's okay. Inside the lunchbox Whoa. is a very small scientist. It's Mr. Gooch. Fantastic. Um, Gucci. Uh, a man who thinks the master is a colonel and manipulating his way around, he needs plastic for something. Something about telepathic intelligent octopus, octopuses that like plastic. <laughs> and then the master leaves Octopus. the octodecahedron in the factory and leaves. And then we see Joe fucking around in the grass a little bit. And Joe's like, hey, I know that person. Maybe he's the master, but I don't know that. And then Joe gets caught instantly and gets mind controlled instantly and reveals everything to the master. And then the plastic plant is having the original owner join them, apparently. And the junior owner goes down and sees a whole bunch of plastic face guys. And he's like, ha, ha. And then they brought the a box into the room. And Joe is like, huh, that's weird. I could open that. And then she's like, no, let me open it because it's a bomb. And that's the episode. It's a bomb. I can't open it. I can't open it. I can't open it. I can't open it. Um, so yes, uh, as we mentioned in the previous episode, Liz is gone. Um, they kind of wove and in, weave into the fact that like Liz essentially feels like the Doctor doesn't really need her as an assistant, so she goes back to Cambridge. And then the Brigadier is like, "What? Basically, what you want in an assistant is just someone to hand you your test tubes and tell you that you're doing a good job." Um, and, and the Doctor seems a little bit annoyed by this, but it's also the truth. 
Uh, and so we get Joe. Joe is great. Katie Manning is fantastic. I love her. She's she's so nice. Um, I there's so many anecdotes about her. She she absolutely loves talking about Doctor Who, and still she does so many like audio adventures with Doctor Who and like interviews. She just loves it. Um, so dozens of actresses were auditioned for the role of Joe. Um, because the role of Joe was initially completely different. It was meant... Originally, Joe was meant to be more like, uh, quote, sultry and sophisticated. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, Barry Letts found, uh, Joe in Katie Manning. Uh, she got the part after a... (laughs) After a series of unfortunate events. Uh, she attended the wrong audition. Uh, she turned up late. (laughs) <laughs> uh, she seemed completely wrong for the character they had in mind, but mm-hmm. Barry Letts was so, like, taken by her that he was like, you know what, I'm gonna, like, we're gonna rewrite the, the part to suit you. Yeah. Um, then, it turns out, without her glasses, she had to, like, vamp around with what she thought the script might have said if she could actually read it, because she couldn't read without her glasses. Um, uh, Pertwee, who requested someone sufficiently short for the Doctor to be, like, a mother hen to, uh, had bumped into her once before and often thought she had the right stuff. So he, her arrival, like, he was just like, oh, hey, it's you again, cool. Um, he may have suggested that she audition, but mem- this is, like, memories of, like, interviews in, like, the 90s and early 2000s, so it's like, eh, hazy. Um... Uh, she all, Manning kept her eye problems uh, a secret until the very first day of location suiting, when she ran into a tree. <laughs> mm. uh, subsequently, uh, John Pertwee always held her hand in chase sequences. Um, so you'll notice that from basically every story here on out. Um, he holds uh, Joe's hands, and that's the reason why, because Katie Manning can't fucking see <laughs> without it. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, A very different dynamic to what Liz and the Doctor had. Um, kind of more a return to a Jamie-type companion. A companion that doesn't really know anything and is kind of in awe of the Doctor the entire time. Mm-hmm. But now we get it in a female character, which we haven't actually had up until this point. Um, because up until this point we've had, like, uh, the we've had Barbara, who was the sort of respected, but a uh, mature one who who wasn't as knowledgeable as the Doctor, but was knowledgeable about certain things and would explain stuff. You had Susan, who was a literal child. Um, you had Vicky, who was a literal child. Um, you had, well, another companion that we haven't seen, who was very <laughs> hard to work with because she was, like, from ancient... Uh, ancient Greece. So it was like, whoops... Uh, no, not Grease. Uh, oh, fuck him, whatever. Um, and then you have Dodo, who was a literal child. Um, mm-hmm. And then, like, you have all of these female companions that are kind of children. Then you have, like, Polly, who's, like, almost there, but she also is still, like, knowledgeable in certain things, and, like, Ben is more the one that they're explaining things to because he's so rigid and, and stuck in his own ways that he doesn't really want to let... Like, he doesn't really want to listen to anyone, so he's the one that they have to explain everything to. And then you have Victoria, who's probably the closest to Joe, except Victoria is, like, the wide-eyed child, constantly like, Oh, 
Oh, oh, oh, I never. Um, and then you get Zoe, who's a completely different character and is more akin to Liz Shaw, who's a character that can hold their own and is almost as knowledgeable as the Doctor in certain fields. But now we have Joe, who is polar opposite. a lot more polar opposite of Liz. She is not the smartest uh, crayon in the box. She knows it, but she is still... She's essentially the golden retriever. Like, like Liz, Liz is, Liz is like your your, your dependable dog. You the, the the sort of dog that like gets you slippers in the morning and is like real nice and like you, like your your lassie, like your very sophisticated, uh, uh, fanciful, sm- intelligent dog. And then Joe's just the golden retriever. He's just. Mm, I would so I nice. would actually say that Joe is. Like a Cocker Spaniel, whereas Liz would be like the Golden Retriever, because the Golden Retriever like is willing to go get your slippers and stuff. A Cocker Spaniel doesn't know how to stop on linoleum and runs into walls. <laughs> yeah, but a Golden Retriever is more like, like, like when I think Golden Retriever, I think like ben? the dog from Up. Oh, okay. Like that, like that's sort of like Golden Retrievers are like the the dependable dumb, loyal, always happy character. Mm. Like, that's that's what I think when I think Golden Retriever. Okay. Anyway. Um, but, yeah, Joe... Katie Manning. Katie Manning's, like, she's one of those people where she has so much energy. Even even as she's gotten older, she has so much energy. She's just, like, a, a positive aura around her. She's just so excited and, and happy whenever she's in a room and talking. Um, but yeah, what happens in the next episode, dude? I would hate to be around that person. In most cases. <laughs> oh my god. Um, the doctor throws the bomb out the window, so they're okay. Joe is now traumatized, which is Woo-hoo! fantastic. Oh. Um, and can't move or talk or really anything. She's just staring off into space. Master, meanwhile, demonstrates that his plastic can turn into a chair, which then suffocates the guy who tries to sit in it, and then they fire him. In that order. Joe finally comes to and tries to recall things she can't. The factory owner's dad is here, and he's shocked about the death. Uh, And the son is like, what's going on? I don't know, Dad. I'm mind-washed. And he's like, oh, it's fine. Uh, But I'm kind of fine. And then the master tries to mind-wash the dad, but he's strong enough to fight it. So then master gets into a car, turns the heat on, uh, before leaving and coming back with a weird doll and tries to give it to him, and he's like, no, I don't want this, and then he just throws it in the car and drives away. Um, Joe is very sorry the Brigadier is very aggressive, and the doctor wants to go to a circus. Uh, The doll, meanwhile, comes to life. As soon as the window is opened, it's not warm enough, and then he doesn't come to life. At the circus, the doctor's having a great time. Pets an elephant. Joe's in the backseat the whole time. Meanwhile, the plastic people, the family, dad and wife are home and they brought the doll inside. Uh, the doctor's looking at that swoop car and that's weird. And then a man in a leopard outfit in another capture him and kidnap him and break his arm or try to. And he offers them the money, let him go. And he's like, you don't have got money. And Joe offers to help the doctor after they call the brigadier back at the parents' house. They're hanging out. Doll comes back, kills him. Wife finds him. She screams. Joe comes into the van, breaks glass over uh, the guy's head that's trying to beat up the guy, the the doctor, 
and gets the doctor out. <laughs> and then before they go check, they go and check the the van. Professor Phillips comes in and has a grenade in his hand. He was the one that had glasses and walked up the radio tower. If you didn't realize, murder time. And then he runs out and it explodes, and they're fine. He also. Like, the doctor goes over to the other van and steals a part from it, and then a whole bunch of cl- fucking clowns beat up the doctor. <laughs> and also, <laughs> Unit is here, and then they're in a police car, and they're like, oh, that's weird, so follow them. Actually, it's not the police. They're automatons. Oh, well. Um, I will, is that is that the episode? Is that... Automatons? You mean autons? Whatever. That's the episode. What do you mean, that's the episode? <laughs> oh, wait, no. There's a there's a break here. That's why I'm confused. Wait, no, no, no. Okay, no, no. You're right. That is that that is where the episode ends. Yeah. Pulls off his face and let's see your turn. Yeah. I'm just like, what are you? What? Yes, that's the episode. <sighs> so, this episode is kind of weird for ha- not having a credited director, like I kind of mentioned la- last episode. Uh, it's because Barry Letts, the producer, directed this one. Um, but BBC staff regulations prohibited a producer from also receiving a screen credit as directing because it was like, it, it was one of the ways that they cr- tried to discourage like uh, producers from like essentially make, letting themselves direct all the stuff that they produced so it wouldn't be open to rebu- abuse. Kind of like the way they don't let producers also be writers. Because then they could just commission their own scripts over and over again. Um, they didn't want that happening. Uh, Let's obtain special permission from his boss, the head of series and serials, to direct one story each season. Uh, because obviously he was being paid on... He's being paid twice on such an episode, once as his producer and second for as its director. Uh, so he had to get permission for it. Um, but yeah, he, he, wanted to, he wanted to branch out and do some direction, which, hey, I mean, it's pretty good. Uh, with with early Doctor Who, there's not really much you can do with direction, to be honest. There's not really much you can do there, but hey, I mean, they're, they're trying to do some more stuff. Um, so, in the scene where uh, the, the, the man gets killed by a chair... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I just... The man gets killed by a chair. Yes. Sorry. A plastic anyway, inflatable um, he, chair. Plastic inflatable chair. That, um, as they've mentioned quite a few times on, like, commentaries and, uh, special features, documentaries and stuff, that was kind of a... They they kind of went over the line a little bit there, because, uh, you got to remember, this is still, like, a kids-type show, like a family show, and they've just shown a man get suffocated to death without really cutting away, like... It's not like, oh, he's being suffocated, then we cut to see someone's face, and then we cut back to see his dead body. It's like, he's being suffocated, we cut to someone, uh, someone's face, then we cut back, and he's still suffocating, and we see his body go limp. And it's like, that's a step over the line for a family show in the 70s. <laughs> um, which, yes, because they're a BBC show, they got lots of uh, complaints about that. Uh, but, I mean, they, they like to push boundaries a little bit, because they wanted to scare kids quite a bit. Because, I mean, if you scare people, it's more fun that way. And people want to be scared. Um, but, also, uh, the troll doll. we got to talk about the troll doll. Uh-huh. Because, fucking hell, that troll doll. Um, technically, that's where this episode started with. 
um, I believe Barry Letts was essentially... No, it was Robert Holmes, the writer. Uh, he, his starting point was a Christmas gift of a troll doll, either German or Danish, depending on who you ask. It was so hideous, he deemed it something you'd only give your worst enemy. And yet he never said who gave it to him. Mm-hmm. He actually received a doll like this. Um, his original storyline has some intriguing differences. Uh, the master uses a mind control ray instead of just being naturally charismatic. Um, the circus was more prominent, being more a means to dispense the plastic flowers. Uh, the trigger for them uh, was actually meant to be heat, but Terence Dix w- uh, vetoed this because he was like, you know we live in England, right? Where the weather gets really fucking hot and really cold, like, constantly. So it's like, like if you have a thing that's triggered by heat, like, it's gonna fucking fail in Britain. So that, don't, no, we're not doing that. Um, uh, quote, when he was like, uh, it was a risky limitation for the Nestian plan was solely concerned with invading Britain. Why not just go to Morocco, he asked. As it turned out, Pertwee really had gone there. <laughs> One of the perks of the new format being three months' holiday, it was astonished when a French-speaking policeman recognised Doctor Who. Uh, Dix himself was off on holiday. Uh, he was more the traditional seaside bucket and spade affair type holiday. Uh, he urged Robert Holmes to just deliver on time and just give, like, give a, the required word count, because... Doctor Who back then was kind of notorious for scripts being late. Um, but the troll doll. So, oh boy. Um, <laughs> this troll, uh, initially they wanted to do some more stuff with it. They wanted to like have the troll walking around more. Um, uh, they, they, Barry Letts wanted to film a shot of the doll running across the workbench towards Joe, which comes up soon, but um, the person in the troll outfit passed out in it because of the intense heat of being in the costume. So they're like, eh, you know what, it's fine, we, we'll just film around it and try and figure out, uh, try and figure out some stuff. Um, and instead what they end up doing is kind of, you can see it in the end shot, they, they film the doll moving a little bit, standing up on the bench, and then they pick the doll up, show it from, like, waist up so it's just the normal doll, and then move it towards the camera, and then throw it on Joe, which is just uh, fucking amazing. Um, also, uh, Nicholas Courtney, who played the Brigadier, suffered a pretty sudden illness uh, during filming this episode. He had a massive bout of depression. Uh, so his dialogue was rewritten to reduce the Brigadier's involvement in it quite a bit. Um, on location shooting, they had a stand-in for him a lot of the time. Uh, this is why he's out of shot most of the time. Um, fortunately, he was able to return to filming in a few days, but it was, like, pretty bad. He was, like, considering quitting acting and everything. It was a really bad thing. But speaking of the Brigadier, uh, I'm going to mention this real quick. Uh, season... Eight is kind of a soft reboot of uh, the Pertwee era of Doctor Who once more, um, where they um, they wanted to ha- change the dynamic between the Brigadier and the Doctor once more because they realised that the Brigadier was kind of looking a little bit oafish and a little bit dumb because the Doctor was constantly explaining things to him. So they wanted him to return to being the boss character. So like, okay, we need more characters 
uh, to sort of fill out that role better, and also it would provide a better case of making Unit more uh, family, more a family for the Doctor, and also allowing them to have more faces to Unit, so there's more risk when things happen, like, in battles and stuff. Um, you actually, like, you know, feel something for some of these soldiers, because you know who they are, you know what their names are, which is where we get Mike Yates, um, who was meant to be sort of a counterpart to Joe in a sense, but he's uh, basically doing the role that the Brigadier had, but essentially for Joe, where he is the one that has things explained to him instead of the Brigadier, uh, which rules out the Brigadier having to be the one to uh, be, you know, looking dumb. And then also he's the one that's meant to like sort of console Joe a little bit throughout her process of dealing with the Doctor being the Doctor initially. Um, but yeah, that's that's why we have Mike Yates, who is going to be a stay-through for a bit as well. Same with Benton, uh, essentially. Except Benton was just, they really liked the actor being the actor, so they just kept him up. Um, but yeah, what happens in the next episode, dear? Uh, well, the Doctor beats up the fake police, the car stops, and they run away and hide. But then Unit is there and they have guns, which they used to have a gunfight, and then a car fight, and then they drive away. And then Yay. apparently they want more aliens to land on the planet, but and nobody at the circus knows anything. So they basically go into the TARDIS and go, hey, we have the circuit, let's try it, uh, but it fails. But because it's a Mark II instead of a Mark, whatever. The Master is now trapped, though, because they have his thing, so he can't leave. Yay! And there's some plastic flowers that are being handed out by these weird mascot things. And the feral, aka the plastic junior kid, is uh, having trouble fighting the master. However, apparently also days have passed. And then a man, not named, but also named Brown Nose is there. And then there's a whole argument and he threatens him. The doctor threatens him with like, I'm going to make you lose your job. And then we find out that a bunch of people have died. And the doctor and crew head back to the parents' house and learn some info from the wife. And then we see a telephone engineer working on a phone. And it's a he's having a long cord installed. And they're like, all right, your papers look good. Let's go. And then the doctor asks to see uh, the doll. And it's weird. And it, like, walked. And that's weird. Uh, they dissect it back Whoa. in base. And it's entirely plastic. And then there's time to fully analyze this thing. And Joe calls in for some supplies. And then everyone leaves the room. And then a soldier <laughs> leaves Joe behind with the doll uh, by a Bunsen burner, of course, and it wakes up and it tries to kill her. And then the doctor is in the plastic factory. However, no one is here. There's a cute plastic flower, though. Let's take it. And then they open a safe and there's a, there's a, there's a thing in there. There's a plastic guy in there. And he shoots at them. And then they close the safe and they're good. So then they go back home and the doctor sends everyone away so they can test the flower. And the phone rings, and it's the master calling, and he makes, like, a beep noise into the phone, and it causes the phone cord to wrap around and strangle the doctor, and that's the episode. It is an amazing scene. It, 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 it really, truly is. The, the cord's wrapping around him, and he's got, like, this goofy face on. Uh, I, I love it so much. Um... So, one thing I'm going to mention, uh, in the Farrell Senior Home, 
in episode 2, before the killer doll attacks, part of the set furnishings includes a kind of famous window uh, from the BBC version of Play School. Anyone familiar with the round window would know this. Uh, as we all know, round window is best window. Um, although I am partial to the diamond window. Um, but yeah, the, it, I find it weird that they had just a window from Play School in the set. But whatever. Um, in the original set script, the master's bomb in the second episode was due to go off when the doctor tried to open the box by remote control. Uh, but Terrence Dix reworked it to make it Joe more prominent, because, you know, it's her introduction story, so she really should be involved more. Um, and also, originally, it was the Brigadier who was strangled by the phone cord, as he tried to call the police to tell them the truth about the troll dolls, because initially it was about the dolls, not the daffodils. Because, like, originally it was meant to be the dolls uh, 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 being distributed by the circus, and that's why the circus is travelling around, and that's why the circus is mainly in it. Um, but that got scrapped, um, thankfully. <laughs> the daffodils makes much, looks better to me and makes a bit more sense and is kind of creepier because the troll doll itself looks creepy. It's like, who's going to want to take this troll doll? They even mention it in the episode. Um, but yeah, it's fucking weird. Uh, the writer Robin Holmes claimed that the basics of the cereal were all around him. A detergent company was giving away flowers he remembered warnings about plastic bags killing children and plastic chairs and ugly troll dolls were all the rage because plastic was fucking everywhere. Um, uh, I will mention, in episode 4, there is a scene where Mike Yates yells to the Doctor, We've got him now! Um, and they had to kind of reshoot it because the actor's performance of it was too over the top. It was like, We've got him now! It was... I... I've heard recreations of it. It it was fucking... Apparently when he said it on set, the, immediately everyone started laughing. Um, but thankfully, they were able to... They had editing tools now, so they were able to actually, like, overdub... Overdub him and, like, get it all done. But, uh... Speaking of editing, uh, they now had a new editing technique. Oh, you don't say! Would... I'm not talking about CSO, because, like... They, okay, well, CSO, the the essential chroma keying, they really liked doing it in Season 7 so much that they were like, hey, can we just do more of this, please? And so they did. So that's why Season 8, you're going to see a lot more CSO. Um, uh, but what I was going to say is that um, they've changed the way that they do incidental music in this. Now they do, essentially, all the editing first, and then they do the incidental music at at basically at the very end. Um, so now it was a case of like, uh, Dudley Simpson describes that he would leave gaps for sound effects to be put in. Um, but they've moved now to have a mainly electronic monotone type, uh, sound with the, the incidental music, which is going to be a main through for the next few seasons. And, I hope you like electronic music, dear. Because <laughs> it is... Uh... We are very much in the 70s. Because, as some describe, this episode is the beginning of the glam rock era of Doctor Who. Joe oh. is very much symbolic of that. Oh, you don't say, with your um, mullet and multiple rings. Yes. <laughs> it's very much the glam rock era of Doctor Who. But, um... What happens in the final episode, dear? 
Uh, so the Briggs Brigadier saves him, and then the doctor's currently trying to heat up the daffodil. That doesn't seem to work. And then a phone call comes in. People are handing out daffodils. That's weird. And then they don't know if they're dangerous yet, so they don't know what to do. Uh, they're trying to figure out if it's a weapon. And then it, they don't really know how or why. And then the brig is just going to fucking blow up the car with the automatons instead in about an hour and a half. And they're giving it a radio. Meanwhile, sorry. <sighs> Meanwhile, the doctor is converting everything to a bunch of symbols. And they see a face. And that's weird. Uh, but when they radio it in, it doesn't work, and then the flower starts to wiggle and become alive, and then aims straight at Joe's face, and she's traumatized again because she gets plastic sprayed straight onto her face and to suffocate her. But she's okay, they get it off. And there's an airstrike in 37 minutes, and the plastic apparently melts away with CO2, and then the master walks in with a cigar gun that he keeps holding around. In the confusion... The Nestines, Nestle's or plastic people will land their invasion force. I, so, what is the Nestines? Yes, yes, the Nestle's. Yes, the Nestle's. So they're going to land the invasion force. So he goes to kill the doctor and he's like, actually, I have your ticket off this planet because you can't use the TARDIS without this. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to threaten Joe then. And they're like, but they're going to bomb! And she's like, oh, okay, well, come with me instead. And the guy in the car comes too, and the plastic men then knock him the fuck out. And so he's just dead on the fucking floor of the car now. Uh, Joe and the doctor are driving up and walking to the building. And thankfully, the brigadier calls off the airstrike in time. Uh, the plastic, plastic hexagon is here, and then they kind of realize where the attack is going to be coming from. He uses the rear lights and Morse code to explain it in under two seconds. And then the masters and automatons head out, and the doctor is now free. And Automons. Uh, whatever. I, are ready to automatons move. Automatons are robots. I don't care. Oh my god. You with your words, and you, this word is this, and god, jeez. <sighs> the military oh, is gosh. <laughs> the military is at the radio base to guard it, and the doctor and Joe jump off the moving vehicle, landing safely while it drives like off into like out of control, basically. And then the, there's a whole gunfight with grenades and stuff with the autons and the fucking soldiers and shit. Pew pew, pew pew. Wow, people are dying. And then the doctor and the brigadier run up the tower after the master. And then the Nestle T's are here. So that sucks. Maybe we're too late. And then the doctor goes, you're too, you're dead at this rate too. Because uh, do you think they're going to think you're any different than me? Or you're going to get killed too. And the master's like, oh no. And so let's quickly change the polarity and fling them into space. And the ground auto mantle Nestle's all quickly fall over dead and the world is okay. The master's gone. Yay. And he totally over. he totally surrenders and then pulls a gun and gets shot. And they're like, okay, well oh, no. he's dead. And they go over and they're like, wait. And they pull his face off and it's actually the plastic kid and then the bus drives away and the master is stuck here on Earth because he doesn't have the dear, dear materialization thing and then that's the entire episode. He doesn't have the Madeira. Yes. He doesn't have the Midori. <laughs> He's stuck here, sober, with the rest of us. 
Um, well, okay, so initially, initially it ended with um, the Doctor being like, he'll stay on Earth until either uh, he's destroyed me or I've destroyed him. Uh, and the BBC head of serials was like, you can't have him say that. That's way too blood... That makes the Doctor sound way too bloodthirsty. Uh, so they changed it to say that the Doctor was looking forward to the next encounter, which makes him sound pretty callous, considering, like, the fucking carnage that happened. <laughs> like, oh, I'm looking forward to it. We'll have more dead bodies everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to be so much fun. Um, so... What? I don't know, five. Oh, okay. Have, uh, also, I'm we'll... S- kind uh, of hang on, bo- this might actually... This might this might change your number rating. What? So, when when uh, Farrell died in episode four, because mm-hmm. he was the one that was under the mask, uh, his motionlessness was so convincing that the crew actually briefly wondered if uh, the mask he was wearing had made him pass out, because he was just so good at like, convincing people he was dead. Mm. So that makes it up to a six, yes? No. Damn it. I, I'm bored, man. I just have no fucking opinion. It wasn't bad, but, like, I just don't care. You're just tired. Might be. I also just kind of don't care about, like, the characters so far. And Okay, fine. <laughs> Five. I, I, hey, what a, this'll increase it. Barry Letts, uh, said since uh, the cliffhanger where the policemen, uh, are revealed to be Autons, he received letters of complaint from Scotland Yard complaining that, uh, he was reducing people's, uh, trust in the integrity of the police force. Five. Damn it. Okay. Well, five, whatever. I mean, it's not the best out of the third Doctor's era, but it is a good one. Um, but yeah, that's Terror of the Autons. The season eight is here. It exists. Uh, we're gonna have fun with it because a lot happens this season. Um, he next episode. Then what do you think the next episode's called, dear? The poopy of my pants. Close. It's the mind of evil. Okay. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, the mind of evil. Next episode. What? What's it about? Uh, I don't know. Maybe a mind of evil. I don't know. I'll never tell. Uh, we'll s- see you next week for mind of evil, dear. Yep. Do you want to no. see people next week with the mind of evil? No, I don't. Oh, okay. Well, fuck you then. It's six episodes long. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>